Our second lesson is from Gospel of Matthew. It's printed there in your liturgy. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit down on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And, and when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it, to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly I tell you, just as you did it, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Open our ears, O Lord, that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. We pray that we would welcome these words that portray to us the heart of God. May we have ears to hear them in light of the cross of Christ this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we have a parable of judgment. Now, it's often difficult for us to tune in when Jesus talks about judgment. Now, I suspect that this is for a variety of reasons. Uh, for one thing, Jesus' warnings, like the warning here and in the two parables that preceded in Matthew 25, Jesus' warnings are often weaponized by the self-righteous and wielded against their enemies. For those doing the weaponizing, God's judgment never comes close to their home, 
it's always, God's judgment is always about someone else. And the someone else is always someone that's easy to demonize. Almost always about the vulnerable who have no control over the powerful. Now, to state the obvious, that people do this with Jesus' oracles of judgment is wickedly absurd, right? Because these passages usually state outright, or at least indirectly, a warning precisely against such self-righteous behavior. Now, perhaps you have been on the receiving end of of that sort of, of manipulative verbal violence. If so, it may be hard for you to hear Jesus' oracles of judgment. That is understandable. Um, But perhaps this morning, we can offer a different understanding and hear them how they are meant to be heard this morning. Caleb, uh, on the way up to the communion table this morning, apart from being really impressed that he found his seminary notes, and could quote from that professor, which I'm thinking to myself, wow, I don't think I could find any of my seminary notes, not, not even the good ones. Uh, other than being impressed with that, I was really struck by how Caleb mentioned as we came to the table that we're remembering what Christ has done for us, but, but we're remembering also what Christ has promised to do for us, and, and not only for us, but for the whole world. In, in scripture, judgment is good news. It's good news. Uh, Fleming Rutledge is, is someone who I've really come to appreciate reading recently, and uh, she's just such a really wonderful author. She's scholarly, but she's been a pastor her whole life, and, and so it comes through, you know, in a pastoral way, and And when she writes on judgment, she really gets it right. She says, you know, if there aren't things that are going on in the world that make your blood boil, if there aren't things that are going on in this city, if we could now extrapolate, that make your blood boil, if there aren't things that you have done in your own life that if not, if they don't make your blood boil, at least they cause you serious pause and concern. She said, in in, in other words, what she's saying is, if you don't want God to judge, if you don't want God to separate good from evil, if you don't want to look forward to the time when this world is joined to the world, to come and God once and for all establishes shalom, if you don't love justice and judgment in that way and want it, especially for the sake of those who are always on the end of injustice, if you don't want that, she says, you have not understood the heart of God. You have not understood the heart of God. And in one of, these, one of the essays I was reading of hers that struck me so as 
just absolutely true. Uh, and I know it experientially because of my time of working uh, in an African-American church. She says, you know, there's a stark difference between how judgment is talked about in the African-American church and how it's talked about in most white, middle-classy kinds of churches. Because in the African-American church, judgment is something that's looked forward to because they've suffered. I'm not saying that, that you all haven't suffered. Um, you know, for those of you who are here, mostly white, I know, but um, I think her point is well taken. And, and it's just a reminder that, as Caleb mentioned on the way up to the communion table, we look forward to what God is doing in the future. And part of what we look forward to, central to what we look forward to, is a time that God comes to judge. Now, I'm going to tell you that it's good news. I'm going to tell you that it's good news. And when you leave here today, I hope that you've heard it as good news. We haven't even gotten in the text yet. I've just set up the preface. Um, excuse me. When Jesus tells stories of judgment, he stands in the weighty tradition of the Old Testament prophets where the prophets speak to the people of God. You know, just open them up. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, on and on. Quite often directly to the religious and political leadership, they speak. And they warn. They warn that if certain patterns of living persist without repentance, destruction is going to come. Now, of course, what is unique to Jesus as he stands in this tradition is that Jesus is the last of the prophets. The coming of Jesus' kingdom will bring the ministry of the old covenant, the law and the prophets, to fulfillment. And so Jesus' words of warning are about getting Israel back on track, and in that way they're just quite similar to the prophets of the Old Testament, getting Israel back on track. But specifically, getting Israel back on track by warning about the tragic consequences of refusing to see God at work in Jesus' words and deeds. In the parable before us this morning, we're confronted with the reality that recognizing Jesus Recognizing Jesus rightly is inextricably wrapped up in whether we tend to the needs of those on the margins, the poor, the prisoner, the hungry, the stranger, the powerless, the least of these. One of the common themes in Jesus' stories of judgment is that the people who misread things are shockingly unaware that they are misreading things. The two stories that precede this one, and I won't go into any detail, you can look at them later. The two stories in Matthew 25 that precede this one, each in its own way is about being, people being shocked that they're on the wrong side of the story. 
Same here with the sheep and the goats. Oh, Lord, come on. When were you hungry? When were you a prisoner? Oh, we would have been there. We'd have had your back. What are you talking about? You must have the wrong person. And Jesus says, oh, I was there. You did not see me. You did not see me close to those who needed your love, your support, your friendship, your compassion. I was there. You did not see me. Jesus says, I was with those people you overlooked and regarded as being someone else's problem. I was with those people about whom you created theories by which you judged that they needed tough love in the form of neglect. I was with those people that you wrote off because you held them in contempt for bringing their calamity on themselves. When Jesus says, I was there, it chills me to the bone when I hear that. It's chilling, right? I use the word chilling because it should be chilling to think that what we are capable of is just this sort of misreading. I would humbly submit to you that if you don't think you are capable of misreading where God is at work in the world, then you may very well be misreading where God is at work in the world already. For these stories of judgment are there to get our attention, to warn us about becoming complacent and imagining that we are capable on our own of seeing the world and Jesus through God's eyes. Jesus' stories are meant to arrest our thinking and to interrogate us. And the way to tell if you are hearing them rightly is not whether they make you afraid of hell, however you may understand hell. That, that's not how you tell if you're hearing them rightly. The way to tell if you're hearing them rightly is whether they break your heart in the instant when you realize that you are the one who didn't recognize Jesus in the least of these. Does that break your heart? If that breaks your heart, you're hearing that story rightly. You are not misreading it. The minute we recognize that we're the ones who didn't imagine that the kingdom entails risk, see the parable right above this in Matthew 25, or the moment that we imagine that the kingdom didn't entail sacrifice, see the parable above that in Matthew 25. In the moments that you realize that you are capable of misreading the story and that you do misread the story, it breaks your heart and then you know, then you know that by the Spirit you have been given ears to hear the oracle of judgment and you're on your way to good news and you're on your way to forgiveness. You're on your way to the cross of Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. What do we do? What do we do when our hearts are broken 
and we recognize that, that we have been the ones who've weaponized Jesus' words by demonizing others. What do we do when we are shocked to find that we are on the wrong side of Jesus' stories of judgment? Last Sunday, I mentioned in the lead up to communion that Jesus' parables about judgment often contain violent imagery that startles us and grabs our attention. These are sobering images and they are meant, as we've been saying, to cause us to take a sober look at ourselves and where we stand in relationship to God's purposes in the world. But as those who live on the other side of the cross, these images of violence that are associated with these oracles of judgment, these images should draw you like a magnet to the cross of Christ. Because, in a way, in a very God-ordained way, that's where we understand how the violence and the justice all mix together with mercy. For it is in the cross of Christ that God in the person of God's Son takes the violence and ugliness that accompany the sins of the world, takes it upon himself causing the death of Jesus and his temporary separation from God's love, wherein, in the words of the Apostle Paul, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, the great and mysterious substitution so that the world would not be lost to the forces of darkness, but redeemed and restored in a new creation made possible through the resurrection of Jesus." If you hear the oracles of judgment and you recognize that you and what you have done and what you have left undone is part of what Jesus is speaking against and you're cut to the quick and you're sorrowful, you have heard those right. But if that's where you stop, you have not heard them right because the apocalyptic violence that is associated with them is to draw you to God's ultimate apocalypse where all of the evil in the world is absorbed in Christ's broken body. And when we go to that cross, we find healing, and in that cross is the healing of the world, and in that cross is the hope of the world to come where finally God's justice will reign and good and evil will be separated from each other. How do you know you're on the right side of the story? You're on the right side of the story when it draws you to the cross of Christ. I've already quoted Fleming Rutledge. We'll paraphrase her. I'll end with this quote. In the cross, we see how justice and mercy come together in the being of God. The judge of all things has put himself in the place of those who are guilty. In doing this, he is not simply declared a general amnesty. The mystery of the crucifixion is this. In Christ, God is giving himself up to the utmost degradation in order to reorient the world to himself and to declare that all things will be made right 
in the kingdom of God. My sisters and my brothers in Christ, this reign of Christ Sunday, where Christians all over the world, many of whom are being oppressed and suffering injustice in ways that we will not imagine, on this reign of Christ Sunday, when you hear the oracle of judgment, look to the cross of Christ, wherein is your healing and the healing of the world, because all of the judgment has come upon Jesus. And he alone is our hope, and he alone is our king, and he alone is our judge. And righteousness, justice, and mercy have met at the cross. We are people of the cross. Let us go forth in that good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.